Kia ora, I'm Alex Ashton and this is The Detail. Now you only have to tune in to talk back to know that Kiwis feel pretty passionately about place names. Whether it's the debate over adding a letter. One letter can cause such ructions and such strong feelings is quite remarkable. Reinstating a Māori name or going with a compromise such as using two names. People get pretty fired up when it comes to the title of their hometown. Benidale is a tiny town 35 k's out of Tikawiti, right in the heart of the King Country. Not a lot of people live there now, a couple of hundred or so, but it was a busy little place in the coal mining boom of the 30s and 40s. Places like Benidale tend to stay out of the limelight, but a decision last week changed Benidale forever. Benidale is still Benidale, but it's also Maniaiti. There was drama leading up to the decision, but it got me thinking. How do these name changes come about? Who gets to choose a town name? Can a place be forced to change its name if people don't want it? And how much of a pain in the neck is it, logistically, to rename a place? Enter Wendy Shaw. I really love it. Um, a really great chance to learn about New Zealand's history and past and our language and the connections that people have to the places that they live in. Wendy's been the secretary of the New Zealand Geographic Board for the last 20 years. If you want to change the name of your city, town or local rock formation, well, you'll have to get it past the board. And like all great administrative adventures, it starts with a form and a checklist. It requires that they provide a location map of the place that they're wanting to name or change the name for. They also have to undertake a bit of consultation. It's encouraged but not mandatory, and what we're looking for there is support from the community and also um, iwi especially, um, and, and that will help the board in making its decision they also need to obviously undertake a bit of research into best practice naming following criteria set out in our standards. What does that mean, best practice naming? Well, there are a number of criteria that are applied for geographic naming and things like has the name been in long-term use that they're looking to change, um, what's the spelling of the new proposal, we don't like to have abbreviations. Also, no abbreviations, numbers or acronyms. Uh, does it have a Māori name which could be used? The board encourages the use of those. Science exploration is a whole list of wow. criteria. <laughs> yeah, it and sure I mean, is. Yeah, and I did a little bit of research on your behalf. In New Zealand, you have to have passed. We don't name after living people. but um, So Mount Ashton is out, sorry, in, on your behalf. Oh, no. <laughs> However, there is, there's a small rural locality near Ashburton called Ashton. And also there's an Ashton burn between Tiana and um, Kingston. So, oh, so I'm already could, on the map, sort You of. could find out if you are related. That would be a good thing for you to investigate. So, so who puts forward these proposals normally? Anybody from the community can make a proposal. Um, other government agencies can make proposals. And we do get proposals from uh, uh, territorial authorities for their changing their district and region names. Uh, the Department of Conservation have a process for naming their crown protected areas, reserves, national parks, marine reserves, conservation areas, parks, 
and they all come through um, directly to the New Zealand Geographic Board for assessment. So anybody can make make name proposals, mostly New Zealanders, but we also have people from overseas naming features, especially in Antarctica and um, undersea areas um, out to the limits of the continental shelf. So theoretically, if I find something that hasn't been named, can I apply to name it? Absolutely, but you'd have to meet the criteria that's set out by the board. And and one of the things that you've got to be careful about is why are you naming a feature? What's the purpose? Is it to commemorate something that's great? Is there a story associated with it? Is the feature too minor to be named? Is there an emergency um, search and rescue type need to warrant naming the feature? So there are a number of factors that have to be taken into account. So it's not just a question of naming for the sake of naming. And aside from vanity wanting something called Alex Ashton Rock or Alex Ashton Waterfall, why do people apply to to change names or to name something? I think um, in the past especially it's been exploration, discovery, conquest, events relating to a particular place to give that place meaning, huge part of the naming that we have in New Zealand. Uh, describing physical characteristics that help you locate that place in the future is also really important. But fundamentally, I think it's about identifying the physical location for practical um, needs, for administrative needs, for, for, for locating for search and rescue. The other part is the cultural and heritage aspects relating to place names. So the sense of place that people have their identity identity, their belonging, uh, those things are really important in terms of naming. There's also language revitalisation, so as I said earlier about the original Māori place names being a function of the board, in terms of spelling those names correctly, there's Treaty of Waitangi Cultural Redress that includes the restoration of, of Māori place names. So, yeah, there's a, I think names create an opportunity to learn about the history of a place. Yeah. And there's, there's a bunch of other, other reasons which I could list for you as well if you want me to. In 20 years, you must have seen some interesting cases. Can you think of any particular place names or applications that have stood out for you? Well, I suppose the Whanganui decision was a very controversial name. Ah, the adding of the H. The adding of the H. Mark Dawson is the former editor of the Whanganui Chronicle, and he knows this debate well. Certainly at times, very strong opposition. I mean, the letters to the newspaper were, you know, quite vociferous, quite strong and plentiful. What were they saying? What was the opposition based on? Basically, I was born in Wanganui, as in W-A-N-G-A-N-U-I, and I will die in Wanganui, and that's what it's always been. And it's, they resented the change, you know. Obviously, you know, it might be fair to say um, it was Maori who were, who were primary or Maori interests who were primarily pushing for the change because they felt the spelling was simply an incorrect spelling and didn't make sense in Tereo. So, you know, some of it, I guess, could be put down to anti-Maori sentiment. And there was this view that, that from these referenda, which I say didn't, you know, less than half the population took part in them, but the fact that they represented a vote to go without the H, people felt that was the democratic voice, if you like. In other words, you know, the people who lived there should have the say, and most of the people who lived there who bothered to express an opinion didn't want the H. How long has it been Wanganui? Why would you want to change it? It cost a fortune to change the names. I don't know, I'm, I'm all for 
going the way we are. But gradually, you know, it got it just seeped in more and more, more and more organisations started using it. I, I think uh, iwi interests became more widely accepted, became more part of the, you know, the general tenor of the community. Um, obviously, we moved towards the treaty settlements and, and, you know, people changed. Looking on the other side, so the arguments for a name change, what were they saying? Some were saying, you know, it's a Maori word and Maori should decide. The National Geographic Board, of say, around about, I think it was 2009, came out with a, a view that, that Wanganui with an H was the correct spelling. Uh, and there is the the uh, Teo uh, translation, which uh, Wonga with an H, I think, uh, means big water or big harbour. And this was the uh, feeling that with that, that Wonga without an H didn't have any meaning in Tereo. We're quite, you know, there was some strong feeling about it. Very strong feeling, in fact. You know, one one letter can, can cause such ructions and such strong feelings is quite remarkable for somebody who sort of comes from the outside, somebody who comes from the north of England and looks at it and thinks, you know, what the heck? The 85% of, of Wanganui said in a referendum a few years ago, we didn't want it. Mm. I put in an thing on the computer and said I didn't want it changed. Nothing, nothing happened. How did people feel when the decision was made and the name was officially changed? Well, there was an initial attempt in, I think it was 2013-2014, uh, uh, which went to Maurice Williamson, I think, was then the land information minister, and he allowed both spellings. And this was for the for the town, for the urban area, um, to be spelt with, with the H without the H. He decided either acceptable, which was sort of a bit of a sit-on-the-fence thing, I guess, but... But that was taken and people used whatever they want. But then a year later, the locally we requested that the name of the district be changed. And the mayor at the time, Annette Main, was, was sympathetic to that and felt that the district council should indeed change its name. So that went to... A vote, I think it was December 2014. The H debate has resurfaced in Whanganui following a council decision around naming the district. Officially, spellings both with and without the H can be used, but the council has decided to leave it out, angering local iwi. Six councillors voted in favour, seven against. And I question the right of, of 12 councillors and a mayor to have that say on behalf of the community. The decision means individual businesses, even government departments, can choose to add an H, but the wider district can't. Uh, strong words were expressed behind the scenes, I think, and probably about a week later, the council got together again and had another vote, and this time it was 10 to 3 in favour of adopting the H. So there's quite, quite an about-face there in the space of a fairly short period of time. As I say, we were certainly putting on a certain amount of pressure at that time. Is there still resistance to it from some businesses? Do people have some people still not use the H in the business name stuff like that, or have most yeah, people? Yeah, quite a few. Quite a few. I mean, I don't know if that's a particular decision. It's just that they've always been, you know, uh, very, you know, motor dealers, um, mechanics, uh, you know, various bodies still. Um, you know, they've always had that name. That's their business name, and they don't change it. And, and I guess you know that. I don't think that's a deliberate 
saying, oh, we reject the H. It may be in some cases, but I think it's just, you know, that's what they've always been and they just stick with it, you know. The business, the business cards are already printed. Their letter <laughs> heads are all that and, yeah. you know, everyone knows them as that and why change? So I think that, you know, there's certainly that. One standout is the Ratepayers Association. The one going to be Ratepayers Association haven't adopted the H, I suppose, as a, a sort of public-facing organisation might have gone that way. And speaking of public-facing organisations... Whanganui Chronicle undergoing minor renovations to accommodate an important, but not always popular, change. A guy rang up this morning, said he was cancelling the paper and he was appalled. After 162 years, the country's oldest newspaper today changed its name to reflect Māori spelling. When the decision was made, December 2014, uh, from the council, we, we immediately thought, right, if the council goes that way, the title of the newspaper as reflecting the district that we serve should also change. Now, the process to go through the geographic board and the submissions and so on took about pushing a year. So I think it was towards the end of 2015 when Wanganui District Council, the Wanganui District, finally officially had the H. The thoughts of myself as editor and uh, the general manager at the time, Andy Jarden, were that in January 2016 we would change our masthead title to Wanganui with an H, but we had to have this approved by sort of head office in Auckland and they sort of said, hang on a minute, let's have a think about this. And, and the fact was that, that we did a survey of subscribers to the newspaper and a majority of them were opposed to putting the H in. And we did get a few people saying, you know, we will cancel our advertising if, if, you, if the Wanganui Chronicle takes the H. Really? And, people were that people... worried about the putting the H in, even, even yeah, after they, it had they, officially they been changed? They by it. Yeah, what can you say? They, they felt sufficiently strongly that they would withdraw that advertising. Other people said they would uh, stop subscribing to the newspaper. So the sort of our parent company, NZME, held off a bit and having seen this survey, put it on the back burner. And obviously, Wanganui is only a part of that organisation. They're dealing with a lot of other things. So it kind of just got put to one side and left for a while. And it was it was 2017 when it sort of reared its head again and we they, we decided to go with the H. And when we finally did make it the Wanganui Chronicle with an H, I think one person that I know of pulled his advertising. And I think we might have had two or three cancellations of the paper, but that was it. So it was, it was very minor damage to our, our economic base. Did you wait too long? To change it? Well, yeah, you know, I think in, I, I wrote an editorial on the front page when we did it and, and I pointed out that everyone else had changed and that we were a little bit tardy in, uh, in coming up to date. So, so, yes, I think we should have gone a bit earlier, but, you know, there's, it's a business. There are economic factors. You've got your customers to think of. So, you know, it came eventually. I'm, I'm just pleased it came during my term as, as editor. also did the Māori place names, alternative names for the North and South Island, Te Eka, Maui and Te Waipaunamu. And why Those, do they stand out? Uh, because they're huge geographical areas. Call it one or the other, that's the message from the Land Information Minister Morris Williamson after he approved a recommendation that the country's two main islands be officially recognised in English and Māori. 
And North Island and South Island were never actually the official names of the islands. In fact, some stuff that I only found out as this got explored, the word South Island was originally applied to Stewart Island. And in fact, the actual South Island as we know it now had an earlier name of Island of Victoria. Then after a while, when the settlers were arriving, the North Island became known as New Ulster and the South Island as New Munster. So there's never been a formal name. It's just sort of a bit of evolution, North and South Island. And it seemed sort of logical to now lock that in place by formally recognising those names. Do you get much opposition to proposals to change names from Pākehā names back to Māori names? It really just depends on on the the particular community, the area. Uh, I, th- I would probably estimate that wherever there is controversy, there are use- usually around about half and half objecting and supporting submissions. The concern, obviously, is when you are outright changing a name that people have had a strong association with and a connection with. Mount Taranaki was once Mount Egmont. The North and South Islands have official Māori names. So why is New Zealand still called New Zealand? The proposal by Hamilton's mayor to change the name of the council to Kirikiriroa has been getting a lot of airtime this week. The headland, hill and stream all named with the N-word. A racial slur that could see all three of them wiped off the map. Are you familiar at all with the, the recent case with Bennydale becoming dual Bennydale Maniaiti? Absolutely, yes. What happened there? There was quite a reaction from the community. They initially proposed to an outright change from Bennydale to Maniaiti, and the board felt that it recognised the importance of the name Bennydale to the local community, you know, their long association and identity, so decided to consult on the dual name to Manuati Benidale. I don't really know why they want to change it, not really. Um, you know, it's been Benidale from day one. The town was named after two officials at the nearby coal mine 70 years ago, Charlie Benny and Tom Dale. All together we received 12 supporting and 26 objecting submissions, but of those objecting submissions, there were actually two pes- petitions with over... 350 signatories. That must be a hard call to make sometimes when you have that much opposition. Yes, um, and and what what ended up happening was when the board considered the um, submissions, Ngāti Mania Portal asked for an extension so that they could go back to the community, including um, to do some further consultation, including with another um, mana whenua group, Rereahu, so I think there were about five public meetings altogether and the outcome of that was that um, the community apparently um, supported the dual name. Because it embodies both um, Māori and European histories. Dual names are not the greatest solution for a populated place but it was a conscious decision by the board to recognise the equal significance of both names by applying a dual name. Yeah, and I guess with dual names, people, I guess, would tend to just pick the one they like, right, and run with it. I'm thinking uh, Egmont Taranaki as well as another example where I know my nana probably would have said Mount Egmont, but now I think that's bizarre to call it Mount Egmont as Mount Taranaki, you know? Yeah, there's certainly... Well, the option is there to use either in spoken, but in the written form on official documents, both 
Um, both names are required to be written. But I think you're right, that's that's the good thing about dual names, people can say one or the other, and um, hopefully there won't be any confusion around that, and it also appeases people, um, people's sense of place and identity to the name that they associate with most. If a name is changed officially, what actually has to change, you know, day-to-day practically? Does do any signs or anything, or is yeah. it all just up to the up to the town itself? What once the it official? Actually, yeah, it is actually set out in the legislation. The, there's a compliance provision, so all government agencies are caught by um, a compliance provision. So if they have web, you know, online databases with the names, if they have publications, new publications they're producing, then anything that's an, defined as a, an official document under the Public Records Act is caught by the need to use an official name. There is also a requirement for agencies that produce maps for tourists or are producing scientific manuscripts that they also use official names. So, But the thing with that, for instance, road signs... Um, by New Zealand Transport Agency, they are required to update those, but it has to be practical. So normally the board would suggest that in the normal course of maintenance schedules that those changes be made. So it's not an outright as at the point of time that a name becomes official. So you don't have a furious team of people Googling the former name of something? That's The Detail for today. I'm Alex Ashton. The Detail is brought to you by newsroom.co.nz, made possible by the RNZ NZ On Air Innovation Fund. Hit the subscribe button to stay across the detail every day. And if you're on Apple, please leave us a rating as it helps other listeners find us. This episode was engineered by Blair Stagpool and produced by Alexia Russell. Our associate producer is Kathaki Masalamani. Mā te wā.